This week's episode is brought to you by goaltending, which I'm told it matters. Safe to say this top line is the best in the league. Yeah, we are. Racing and shoots and scores! Nathan McKinnon! And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're into Burgundy Radio for uh, August 16th, August 17th. I don't know. It's the one in the middle of the 2020 Coyote series, and before we go to have some people you need to say hi to, so say hi to Earl. Hello, friends. And say hi to Jack. Bonjour. After Game 3, Colorado have a 2-1 series lead over the Arizona Coyotes. Before we get into each game last week, the people want to know, how are you feeling about the series? I'm, I'm annoyed at the moment, but they should still win it. I just, I don't know if I want to watch <laughs> them win it. That's how I'm feeling. Yeah, I <clears throat> I agree. There's, it's, it, things like the third period in game three are incredibly frustrating to watch. Just because you know the the talent level of everybody on the ice and, and you know, they're obviously trying out there and that you just, you just can't, can't get the puck in the net. And, you know, it's frustrating for them. It's frustrating to watch, but um, maybe the, the one good thing about this is that you look at maybe any other series besides the Columbus series, and there's just a lot more open ice in all of them. And, this is just great prep because you play anyone else and it's just going to feel like you've got miles around you. Yeah, Columbus, of course, are like the peak of what Arizona could be. It's kind of how I see right. them. Like Arizona at their maximum power. Right. But we're still feeling good about the, the outcomes then. Yeah, I mean, I could, you know, I, I didn't think this was going to be a sweep. You knew there was going to be one game where it just wasn't going to happen, and, and hopefully that that is just one game, and, and game three was it. Um, you know, it's always tough playing the home team in their first home game, so it <laughs> happened. <laughs> I just how aggravating is it going to be? I figured the we game three had was over... the most likely loss, like the whole way. We still haven't yeah, had like... our overtime game yet. I really thought that was going to be it when they started the third period. I was like, "This has overtime all over it." Yeah, my game no. two is going to be overtime. Nah, game two was in doubt, but it never felt like an OT game. Game three felt like an OT game. Game three felt like it was going to be a five OT game. <laughs> just yeah just to piss me off in particular because who wanted to watch another game in two-thirds of that shit but we could have easily had to anyway just, and it, it looked like all the abs were gonna drop dead too <laughs> it, it, that was the thing like i figured game three was the most likely loss because those back-to-backs whether the travel's involved or not it's always going to be a little bit sludgier and the sludgier games definitely favor the less skilled team we saw that with the outdoor game against the kings for example and we're seeing it here both teams are on the exact same conditions but because arizona's game is built on you know stopping things from happening as opposed to colorado's which is about doing things 
it obviously hurts Colorado more to have a bunch of, of you know, dead legs out there. Yeah. I, I was frustrated to see that Darcy Camper was not among the dead-legged. But You've got to figure it'll happen at some point, because they played him through the back-to-back. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll get there. Um, game one on Wednesday, Avs win 3 to nothing against an extraordinarily passive effort from Arizona. They outshot the Coyotes 40-14, to half of which came toward the end of the third period, when Colorado finally had a lead. Nazem Kadri finally gets through the Darcy Camper barricade on the power play, and JT Comfer quickly follows with a neat little chaos rebound, and Miko Rantanen also scores into an open net from the goal line, which all took 1 minute and 23 seconds. There were a lot of nervous faces in Nav's fandom during this game. I'm hoping you can tell me why that is. It's just like any game when you're playing against a defensive team like that. You're, you're like, are we going to score tonight? And, you know, until that happened... You know, you just weren't sure, especially since it was the first game of the series. You're just uh, the tone wasn't completely set at the beginning of the game. And and you're just you you don't have the confidence until you know that you can score three goals in a minute. Twenty three. I mean, you need to start with a win, right? If Arizona wins the first game. It just it changes the complexion, regardless of how they looked against the Avs it's you start with a win in the bag and it's just the math starts working in your favor it's in yeah, the bag like it did for Calgary last year I don't think anybody thinks that there's a reverse sweep Reno happening here um I'm a little bit um distracted because I'm trying to keep an eye on this Dallas Calgary score Dallas is Still on the power play. Seems like they've been on the power play forever. Seems to be a negative for them. We'll get to that. Um, but this this first game was just absolutely dominant by Colorado, and it it felt like, like it, it didn't feel like a game that they had much of a chance of losing, honestly, because there were a couple of times when guys made gigantic mistakes. I'm looking at Ian Cole behind his own net, um, things like that, and, and Grubauer was there to bail him out. When, yeah. when your goalie has faced like seven shots in the last hour, you're, those are the kind of things that he's not quite ready for. But he was there. He makes the play. We're good to go. I, I never feel like that one was in doubt, even when it was still nothing to nothing after like 50 minutes of pain. But we've, we've seen this team uh, lose so many games in the last few years that I think people are just still kind of traumatized and expecting the worst to happen at any moment. So I think there's a I think there's some of that factor too. But the Avs no, definitely I, I... look as good as they've been since the glory years. I mean, they they obviously look like a good team. There's a reason why the the national commentators keep saying that they're a true Stanley Cup contender. But you have to get there, right? You have to earn it too. So I think there's that where you can see that they're a good team, but also knowing this is a team that that's what won one series since 2008. So it's not like there's a whole track record of success here either. Well, and, and another thing is the, the team is not on track yet. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that there's been criticism of, of players like Miko and Makar um, for just you know not being up to 100% awesomeness like 
they have been in in the past. Um, but you can say that about just about anyone on the team. I mean, it, it's. I mean, they're they're not really even eighty percent right now, and you know, they they get towards ninety a hundred percent. It's ridiculous. How much of that do you think is the team not quite being there yet, and how much of it do you think is Arizona shutting it down because that's the one thing they do? Well, a lot of this you saw in the round robin. I just think it's it's shaking off the rust, and they're still figuring out how to slide back into the season. I mean, you know, no one's been through the situation where you have five months off before the playoffs. Usually it's just a seamless transition from the ramp up you get from the trade deadline to the end of the regular season. And it's just without that, how is each team going to respond to instantly having to be in go mode? So, you know, I think every team is struggling with it to some degree. Um, and, you know, a lot of the upsets we saw in the, the play-in round probably have a lot to do with that. So I, I just think any fan base is going to be out there wondering, all right, you know, when are these guys going to catch fire kind of thing? And, and are they ever going to catch fire all at once like they need to? And, you know, the Avs are going to probably struggle with that like every other team for the next, you know, couple of weeks. I think some of it's Arizona. I mean, that's what they do best. And like Benner always says, you have to play through tight checking. You have to play harder. But that's part of it. It's part of the mentality to beat a team like this is you have to create that space one way or the other. And the way that he wants them to do it is by taking that physicality and playing against it. I think that's that's a conversation that we need to have just kind of throughout this show today as we go through each game, not just the first one, but all of them, is how they're doing that. Because at times it looks like they're just choosing to take every shot from up top. And it's really um it's really obnoxious to me to see that the that the conversation around that is that well that's just what they're doing and they need to be doing something different. That's how they've always played, though. I mean, the the whole year, the defenseman lead in shot attempts, shots on goal, that's pretty typical of them. That's how Bednar wants his offense to run, is to run it through the defense and through the point. And it is aggravating, especially when you move the puck back 40 feet from where it was to take a shot. It that sure doesn't is. seem to make sense to me. <laughs> but the difference between kind of the regular season stuff, which um, was a long time ago, so it's hard to remember. And this series is stuff in the middle is just not there. And it's just not going to be there because there's four or five Coyotes there at all times. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we've seen is, yeah, all right, Joe's had a really nice tip goal, but that's something they've really tried to play off of, you know, for the last two years even. And even that's not really available just because, you know, you do have two or three guys that are ready to block shots before it would even get to a guy trying to tip. Like Landy had an easy tip yesterday, but a guy was hooking his hand. Um, and that would have tied it to, at two, I think, with probably, I don't know, eight or ten minutes left. <clears throat> um, well, that's their net front game. You know, they're not yeah. a crash, crash the net, bang away at the rebound. They're... They're either 
get to the rebound and make a quick shot or the tip play. That's really their only net front game. So it always comes up like, why can't they do this? Why can't they, you know, play like a bunch of power forwards and all crash into the net? It's just, they haven't played that way in like decades. It's, it's not going to happen. They don't have players for it. They don't have the system for it. They don't have the mentality for it, whatever reason. So they can. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want them to try and play like that because, uh, I mean, I, I think that's fairly senseless hockey, and it's not that different from what they're doing. It's just sort of a, a different take on that style. Um, I would rather see them be able to create space with more east-west movement, which I know Bednar hates. Um, and they just they don't have anyone on the coaching staff that's either willing or able to coach that style as far as Lots of guys cutting in from perimeter, coming out, making the defense move, creating space in the middle. Um, you know, because we saw in the, we've seen with Kadri when you give him a little time and a little space, and he's in the middle. Um, you know, he's he's pretty on it, and that's a that's a really good play that they need to find a way to exploit more. And you know, I think Miko can set that play up really well i i mean i think there are a lot of guys that can do that um and it just it's a facet of their game that they obviously are not going to be able to um augment during these playoffs but you know next year and in the coming years i think that's something that if they had a, a an offensive assistant coach other than ray bennett um that would be you know that that would make them probably 20 to 30 percent more effective offensively which is scary should we move on to the next game there's not a whole lot else to say about the first one the abs were awesome and the arizona coyotes were aggravating but eventually broke it was nice to see the damn break when it finally did i'll say that it was nice to see the the three quick goals overwhelm them so it was a good reminder that it can happen yeah, and that'll become important for Game 3. Um, one thing that this game, I think, taught everybody, Game 1, is that this is, like, it's a it shows very well why I this was, like, my series I did not want. Um, I did not want to play Arizona because even when you beat them, you don't feel good about it. You're like, fuck <laughs> you, I finally scored, get off the ice. That's, that's, that's not a happy feeling, you're mad that you won. <laughs> anyway, on Friday, Avs win game two, three to two, against what looked to me like a Coyotes team that caught a thorough ass chewing after the first game. Tyson Joe threw into this one since Jonas Donskoy was randomly ruled unfit, and he got a nice deflection goal from Kale McCarr. Nathan McKinnon scored a Nathan McKinnon goal, you know the kind. And Andre Burakovsky gets the game winner. This time, Philip Grubauer did have to make 30 saves, a little less easy on the old back end. I was relieved to come out of this one with a win because the Avs looked just messy as hell did you see it the same way this definitely was the worst of the three yeah this i I think arizona wanted to open it up a little bit just to see what would happen um and i i'm not sure they went back to really shutting things down in the third game because they were they they shot better than they did in any other game uh, during this one, and, and they generated more chances. 
So I, I think offensively, Arizona played their best game in in game two. Um, and I, I, I don't know how much of that is on the Avs. Um, I, I don't know if they were surprised that this team that they figured would just stack up the middle was, was actually trying to stretch pass and open the ice up a little bit. Um, you know, it, it was just weird in that respect. So, um, you know, it's an, it, it's, it's another facet of the series that I liked um, just because it was a different look. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see it again though. Well, Arizona turned up the physicality too. It was part of that ass chewing they got about not giving the abs too much respect. And they went after them a little bit more. And this is something the abs always struggle to adjust to. It takes some time. This is back to the whole Bender wants them to play through checks and things like that. And it's almost like they're surprised when it happens, which is like the textbook on the abs, right? Like turn up the physicality and make them have to earn that space. And it turns out the the biggest check of the game was friendly fire. Yeah, we lost Vlad Domestikov in this game because he and McKinnon decided they needed to be in the same spot. <laughs> And he killed him. I mean, <laughs> I never saw a good replay of this. Can you kind of explain for me what happened? It, it was a face-off, and Mac kind of pulled back and over and smashed right into Domestikov and put his shoulder right in his face. <clears throat> uh, it, I mean, it wasn't quite Duchesne and McGinn smashing knees or anything like that, but it was brutal. Wasn't even the only time in this game that Nathan McKinnon had some friendly fire of the teammate either. <laughs> um, another of the stories out of this game was that game one less so because there wasn't really a whole lot happening but game two's officiating to call it random I think is generous yeah and I, I don't want to criticize the officials too much in this series because I mean I don't you know I don't think they're doing a great job or anything but you watch the other series and it's at least par and probably better than those, so I'll take it. But yeah, the game two was definitely random. And I say this because game two, like, from minute to minute, the definition of interference changed. It was bizarre. Yeah. I don't know how you play a hockey game when you don't know what interference is. How do you play defense? There's so many pick plays, I mean. That's part of why I think Arizona was gen generating more shots, but <clears throat> um, yeah, to me, it just seems like the officiating's trying to keep it even up, which is fine in a way because it doesn't really benefit one team or the other. Arizona yeah, I... still hasn't scored on a power play. Knock on wood. The Avs have gotten by with what little they've got on the power play. So special teams really hasn't been a factor, which should benefit the Avs in the long run. I mean, yeah, but at the same time, if you're just the way that you play, if, if that's getting penalized, then you can't keep doing that. You have to do something else. And that is a something else that benefits Colorado. So I don't, I don't know that you can say it doesn't benefit either, either side just because of the results of power plays. 
because yeah, I mean, over a series, I wouldn't want to get into a special teams battle because the Avs will not win it. What I'm saying is, like, if, because of the way they do it, this whole keeping it even thing, like, it's it wouldn't be a special teams battle. It would be, well, Arizona's been penalized for dragging on the guys again. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see Arizona called for more of their pick plays, but if they're going to keep it relatively even, and they usually will, unless, you know, one team's just running around out there, um, you know, they're going to be calling ticky-tack stuff on the Avs. Uh, which they did anyway, but, um, you know, I, I agree with Jackie. I just, I don't think a, a special teams battle is where we need to go with this series. But, you know, what do you do about the picks? I mean, it just, they keep happening. Well, you set your own, as we saw in game three. Yeah. <laughs> it was just wild to see on, on one of the goals against it happened because Ian Cole, like, got literally blown up in the slot for no reason. And that, yeah. was, and that was fine. <laughs> But later That's in the fine. game, one of the Coyotes like kind of guides P.E. Belmore, Belmore toward the net, and that's interference. He's just like, yeah. really? Yeah. Well, interference is an annoying one anyway, because, yeah, you could argue interference pretty much 90% of the time. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind, like, hassling people. Like, the, the interference, I forget w which game it was. It was one of the, it was the game that Mac got all the penalties. That, was that yesterday? That was, or, that was game I, two. Because that was the same game when he also got the uh, you-can't-say-that penalty. Right. Yeah, but he got so, penalties yesterday, too. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's like he was just skating in front of somebody and got an interference call, and you're like, that's, you know. Yeah, that look, was game I, two. I, I, yeah. Um, you know, I... I <clears throat> I would hope that the officiating crew is trying to guide their interference calls more towards the picks that are happening. Um, but that one know, was particularly I, bad. Like they, like they both <laughs> turned and they knocked skates, and that was a penalty. Like okay, right. <laughs> but then in, in game three, you see Andre Burakovsky just like slow up one of the Coyotes along the boards, and that's fine. Yeah. I, I think that that was the refs still upset with Nathan McKinnon for whatever he said. Yeah, it's you know, and that penal and that power play off of that unsportsmanlike like did result in the goal, didn't it? <sighs> Plus, you had the penalty shot from the Ryan Graves penalty. Like that was a game where the Avalanche did everything they could to put themselves behind it, and they still found a way to win that game. Yeah, the important thing there was that they always had scored first. Yeah. It started with that. It was great to see McKinnon do another I'm in a different dimension than everyone else on this ice goal where it's just like, I have the puck and it's going in the net before you can even do anything about it. So it's nice. It's always nice to see that happen again. But yeah, they would not have won this game if they didn't keep up with scoring first and then Arizona came back, scored first. Arizona came back and then obviously they scored in the third and took the win. But they easily could have lost this game. Yeah. And this was the the second half of this game was the only time that the Avs really kind of surrendered shot share. Um, which again, it, it I, I I don't know why Arizona didn't seemed to like the, the way that went because it, it, it seemed to work in their favor even though they didn't end up winning the game but statistically and offensively that was probably their best uh, you know half game of the, the whole set 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe they're just like, no, scoring is not cool, and we're just not going to do it. It's Tortorella hockey. <laughs> Even though it's not Tortorella, it's still Tortorella hockey. But the perfect game is a 0-0 zero to zero tie that is called after the 10th overtime because no one can skate anymore. Finally, on Saturday, the Avs do drop Game 3, 4-2, with two empty netters against. Despite getting 51 shots on goal, Miko Rantanen gets credit for the two-little, two-late, six-on-five goal that bounced three times, and Andre Burakovsky also scores a bouncer about one second after a power play ends, but that was all that was beating Camper. No Vlad Domestikov for this one since he got dinked up by McKinnon in Game 2. This game can yeah, fuck off. <laughs> Um, yeah, they, like I already talked about, this was extremely frustrating. Um, and, you know, I, I like to look at it like you just tip your cap, but it, you know, the fact that they generated so much quantity without really being able to, to get the quality up there, it's, it's a little concerning. I mean, again, I'm not worried about losing the series at this point, but, um, it just they kept slamming their head into the wall and they didn't try to slam it into the wall a different way at all it's it just the same thing over and over and over and it, it wasn't working um that's kind of the yeah. avs mo though it's it is if you just keep trying and it'll eventually break through yeah, and and bednar basically said that after the game um you know and that's just you know, it is what it is. That's you know, that that's his call. And, and I don't know if there's a, a ton that you could have tried different. Again, it's it's tough. I, it, tactically, they were doing what they were supposed to. I think this is, you know, it's more of a strategic issue, which is not something really change at this point. Right. And it's this game also really highlighted how Arizona defend, I thought. Yeah. Because um, Colorado had 51 shots, and how many of those were rebound chances? Maybe... Two or three tops? Yeah. Like, every time the puck came off a camper, there were a dozen coyotes ready to jump on it. I don't know how they never got called for too many men on the ice, but there there was just, there was no room for anybody except Arizona to get the rebound, because they were all there. Yeah. And, they and he didn't this... give up many rebounds anyway. Right. Um... But when he did, they were immediately knocked to the corner. Like, there was, it, it didn't matter. There was nothing you could do. And this wasn't just the third period frenzy, which was pretty much as crazy as we've seen this team be able to consistently put pressure on. But they started with 20 shots in the first period. Yeah. And it's a shame that they were chasing this game. This was like the opposite of game two. This this was the game where Arizona would score and then the Avs would tie it up. But it was, it was really that that goal at the end of the second period. I think if they get to the third period with the tie game and then come out the way they did, it probably would have worked in their favor. But giving up that goal and then letting Arizona go to intermission with the lead, that pretty much sealed their fate. Yeah. Yeah. I... So this this was Paulo Franco's in net for this game, and it's I think it's hard to fault him too much on either goal. Um which is sort of similar yeah, to I mean, the conversation we have about Grubauer all the time. So, 
I think I guess make a save. I think Frank did his job. He he let in two goals, and so he was the first one. He didn't have a stick for. So I mean, I'm I I give him a pass on that. Um, The goal where Zadorov was screening him, yeah, it's not great, and yeah, you 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 need to make a save in that spot. So I'm I'm a little on the fence about that one, but. I think he did enough. Like, was it yeah. a special performance net? No, absolutely not. But I think you even pointed out, like, the expected goals was about two. He gave up two. Like, he did yeah. his job. He gave them a chance to win. But no, he wasn't going out and stealing this game. The first goal was yeah. a soft outlet pass that was flubbed and turned over and passed into the middle of the ice where Jonas Donskoy was kind of playing defense a little bit. And EJ was halfway to North Dakota doing I don't know what. And Frank didn't have a stick to take the pass away. There's right. five million mistakes here. And he didn't have a stick yeah. because Taylor Hall skated through it like shit happens. Um, <laughs> that that was the shit happens goal. Right. I feel like the second goal was the first goal that Arizona has scored this series that was, you know, a, just a good offensive play. Um, like they, they, they got it moving side to side. I thought that Brad Richardson's shot was placed extremely well. Um, yeah, it's that's a tough save. It is, and you know, again, you've got a, a six foot six behemoth in front of you screening you, and yeah, you're you got to fight through that. But it just that was um, the issue. Was Zadorov had been on the ice for like a minute and a half at that point. He had no legs yeah. to come contest the shot, so he just kind of was in the way. Yeah, is this where we start talking about who was no, bad in this tough. game? Because that's a long list. There was... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, like... I, I think they're, the, the guys that were were bad at times in this game, it's just it, it's been the same story for me in, a, in several different ways over the whole series. Like, I've liked... Almost every defenseman at some point during the series, and I've not liked every defenseman at some point during the series. And I, I think the problem there is the consistency. It's you know none of them are consistently at least decent yet. Um, and again, I think a lot of that's rust. And I think you know it's, it's a- about what Arizona's trying to do. I mean, that's a pretty obvious way to disrupt the abs is disrupt the, the breakout. If you send two defenders on one guy, like they do often, that's one defenseman can't overcome that, right? He's double teamed. So right. you have to find other ways to, to help that. So I think yeah, it's, Arizona's doing their job. They're disrupting it. They're putting pressure on, and the abs have to counter that. And it's tough also. Like I I remember there was one play yesterday where Sam had the puck in the corner and he was getting double teamed on a four check and there is like everyone else on the ice is just watching and I'm like he needs some help. Are you going to go help him or what? I mean <laughs> you know he's not going to win a two on one battle with with two guys. I mean he might, but it's just the percentages just aren't there. I mean you've got to get in there and help him. And 
no one took the initiative to go in there and it's just that's that's tough uh watching that and, and that's i'm sure kind bednar of the, hated that <laughs> that's the same story we kind of had off and on throughout the season too right like when they're trying to have these you know long pretty outlet passes that give you a quick transition it's great when they work and awful when they don't like help your friend and this is this wasn't even a case where everyone was flying the zone i mean everyone was still in the zone and they're just watching like but it's the same kind of three yeah there were three abs in the in the camera frame just sitting there watching sam get double teamed and you're like i don't know are you guys just hoping he's gonna win battle against two guys or or what i mean (laughs) do you secretly hate him you don't want to help like what is this exactly you know he's a sharp guy and everything but i don't know i mean i just don't you know i don't like the percentages there no damn it uh, Dallas and Calgary are going to overtime. We may not have a result oh, for that series by the time we get to it. You hate to see it. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah with, with the whole defense, I agree. They've they've all been up and down. They've all had good moments, bad moments. I think EJ's so the EJ, weird EJ would... one. Yeah, because he was he was like the best player. You know, he and Kadri were the best players in game one, and it's like I mean, you didn't even see him in game three. I mean, they were invisible. Well, they saw him, playing him too. You saw EJ three. the time he got beat up by Pucks. Right. <laughs> I'm saying you didn't see him in a good way. Well, that was um, kind of a good way. He saved a goal. Yeah. Not he is. Matter. He is good at blocking the shots, but it's weird because he has definitely been skating better since coming back from the break and that's great and it looks good and he's moving and he has some speed and he can carry the puck it's just his offensive ability has evaporated he has the same offensive impact as the now so when he's rushing the puck into the zone it's really not that threatening so when he has eight shots on goal in game one which was great and he got all the accolades for that it's like Back to what we were saying, when this offense defaults to shots from defensemen, shots from the point, that's not necessarily a great thing. Well, I mean, some of those were from jumping into the play, which, again, you probably don't want to see. Especially in um, overtime, hello, Vegas game. Just <laughs> what I'm saying. I mean, a shot on goal is a shot on goal, right? I mean, that that's part of the whole point in the process, just creating goals, but... When you have somebody that has such little ability at this point to score that goal, it's not like the number one greatest thing you want to see. Like some people still believe that EJ has this ability to change the game offensively. And hey, he might score. And this is what I'm doing. I'm setting up that EJ is never going to go score a goal. And then he will in the next game, which will be fantastic because we'll need it. <laughs> but. I think it's also part of understanding and accepting what kind of player he is now. I mean, he scored 16 points this year. He's he's not yeah, I mean, an offensive catalyst. So what yeah. I want from EJ is to play well defensively because that is what makes the biggest difference. Well, I want him to, to be able to start the transition. I want him to be able to carry the puck into the offensive zone if he's got the opening. But my hope is is that you know when he, when he takes that lap around the offensive zone like he's want to do at certain times, 
you know that that he gets it to the guys that are gonna create the plays that they could score a goal i mean um you know it, i think you're totally right like his shot you know he he might bounce a shot in off someone and get a goal or something like that i mean anyone can do that but um you know when when you get a guy like that and, and zadorov's pretty much the same way i think zadorov realizes limitations because he rarely shoots um you know he's he's more like all right i'll carry this behind the net and then the guys who know what they're doing can take over right he makes chaos yeah and what we need more out of from ej is to not have a game like game three where his pairing just gets consistently caved in by phil kessel and taylor all yeah and i think the abs were switching that up because then they start playing sam more with cole and they played EJ less, so I don't know if all those shot blocks got to him in some way because he really didn't play a whole lot in the third period. Not not so little that you wondered if he was hurt, but just so little enough to where it was like they really are trying to limit him on the ice. Well, he did go to the locker room after that shift. He came back out. I don't know if he came back out before the intermission. It was really late in the period, but... He did go down to the room after that and get this doused in freezy spray. Well, he should have. <laughs> I mean, that was a Herculean effort. Um, you know, and that's, you know, I, I'm glad that he's there to do that. But, um, you know, I, I think between he and Sam being a little bit inconsistent, it's sort of as they go, so does the Arizona offense at times. Um, well, they're they're being inconsistent together, and this is a pairing that I I've never really cared for too much, um, but just kind of in an overall structural sort of way because there are two of your defenders who are capable of oh there's no outlet pass so I can just skate with it and be fine, um, and then that leaves you with probably Ian Cole and Nikita Zadorov together, who you you don't want that. I just yeah. think it's sort of the best they have if because EJ and Cole together is worse. That is yeah. like a no bueno whatsoever. It's just it's the way it works the best to have a top four because then if you split them up then where does Graves and Makar go et cetera et cetera. I don't think they're breaking Graves and Makar up. No. Um, no matter how many people are going to complain because Ryan Graves decided to join the join the play. Which, can I have a moment for this brief soapbox here? I'm going to... If this was a live show, I would stand up right now. Just to make my point. Okay. Well, with that introduction, we've got to be ready. Graves and Makar work pretty well together. I don't think anybody thinks that that's wrong. Um... We have to calm down a little bit when we see Ryan Graves join the play and not Kale McCarr. Because yeah. people seem to assume that that means that Ryan Graves is taking away an opportunity from Kale McCarr. And that's just... No, stop it. <laughs> no. Kale McCarr... But why? Kale McCarr makes things. He, when he has the puck, he finds spaces that weren't there before he had it. He creates new things. Ryan Graves is very opportunistic. If there's something in front of him, he will take it, and he usually does something decent with it. 
it's a very different kind of mindset than what than Kale McCarr who's out there producing new things. So, like, Ryan Graves is doing something because it's right there in front of him, which means it wasn't in front of Kale. Like, he's taking what's there. Right. I think Kale does try to play safe, though. So, I mean, one of them has to hang back. Like, you have to make a decision. You can't have both go for it. So, I think a lot of times, Kale tends to defer to whoever... I wouldn't say necessarily say has the puck, but maybe who's going for the puck. I would say that so, some of that is because you cannot have your fifth man back be Ryan Graves if you have another choice. At the same time, because like, not- well, true because he's going to get burned. Car has the speed, but I we have seen it though where sometimes McCarr gets a little passive. I mean, when he has the puck on his stick, he's aggressive, but. Getting to that point, he can be passive. I, I wonder if some of it is just the rookie-itis where you don't want to be the guy that's making all these huge mistakes. I think it's also has limited some of his shooting because he didn't really generate a lot of shots over the course of the season and certainly not to the extent that he was doing in college. So we know that he has it in him. It's just he needs that kind of push to be more aggressive. And we saw that in yesterday's game, in game three, Makar had a ton of shots and shot attempts because, but that's also because of how the game was going, they needed to generate offense. But he needs to do that and find that level more consistently because he's the best, he's going to generate the most offense of any of the defensemen getting involved in the play generating shots carrying the puck and things like that so there's a balance i mean i mean graves can skate it he can do those things it's not like he shouldn't be doing it at all there needs to be more balance but at the end of the day mccarr is the one with the talent to do those things and he he does defer a little too much i believe well the other team also focuses on him a little bit more i mean you're you're going to want to make sure that you don't let Makar get up the ice with the puck if you can help it. <clears throat> I also think part of this is Makar, you know, he wants to be known as defensively responsible as well. So there's probably times when he's sitting there with some space in front of him and he doesn't take it because he's like, yeah, you know, if this doesn't work out, it's going the other way with, with a, an odd man rush. So I'm just going to chill. Um, and that's okay. And I think, you know, as time goes by in the league, he's, you know, he, he's going to know better when he can take that space. Um, but I, I guess I'm okay with him being a little conservative at first and, and getting his defensive game where the staff can trust him and, and things like that. So he can be more than just, you know, that guy that they use offensively. Um, because in the end, that's going to turn him into, you know, a full on number one defenseman. Well, since we've talked a little bit about D pairs, why don't we also talk a little bit about F pairs? Um, Miko Rantanen has two goals in three games, and everybody's upset with him, and justifiably so. So I think it's a little unfair, actually. Well, I, I do too. He, I, I will let y'all defend it then, because I think Miko needs to give us a lot more. His his two goals are well, I could have scored that, and some magic bullshit bounces. 
I mean, what 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 are you not seeing from him that that you think he should be doing? I am seeing him mishandle almost every pass he receives. Okay, it, that's fair. It looks like he's taking an hour and a half to make a decision every time he gets the puck, because he has to settle it first. It's he's not receiving anything cleanly, and that's that's hurting the Avs' ability to get um, chances through the Royal Road, which hurts the power play. Even though the power play has really not been a you know, negative, it's hurting like just any kind of set plays they can set up because he can't. Whatever is going on there, unless you believe he's receiving 90% bad passes, which I guess you could believe that, his inability to handle things cleanly is slowing down the offense against a defense that wants to slow down the offense. I think this is a very much an eye test versus numbers debate because I don't disagree that when you're watching him, it, it doesn't look fluid. It looks like he's in mud half the time or he's trying things that don't work out. But then you look at the analytics and he's been one of the best forwards. In what way? Uh, in Corsi and shot generation. They're two big ones. I think he was the best forward in the game against Vegas. And since they didn't win that one, he didn't get a whole lot of credit for it. Um, so this is a tough one for me because I think the criticism is valid, but he definitely has not been one of the worst forwards. Oh, it's I'm not saying he's one of the worst forwards. I'm saying that especially as we get out of this series, the Avs need more. They need more from pretty much everybody. They might need more to even get out of this series. I mean, I don't... They should win it. I think they'll win it, but it's not a foregone conclusion either. Yeah, it, it took it, it took Camper making 50 saves and getting beat cleanly three times on posts for them to win a game. I, I'm not worried about the series at all. Yeah. And Miko has generated a ton of expected goals and just not finished. For me, that's that's what I'm not liking. And I agree totally that he's mishandling pucks all the time. Um, I tend to think that, you know, shoulders are something that take a long time to really get back from. And, you know, yeah, they, they did have months and months and months leading into this to get better. But it just, I, I think... Um, you know, when you come back from a shoulder injury like that, it it affects your game a lot, and it's just I, I don't know if this is something that's fixable right now. Um, I I think what's what would be better is the staff realizing sort of what his limitations are, and the the areas where he is doing well is what we've said for several years now. Is you put him behind the net with the puck and he looks fantastic because um, you really can't get the puck away from him. If it's just one guy, like if he gets double team, like anyone else, that's tough, but um, <clears throat> he's able to control the puck away from his body where no defender is going to get it. And he's able to make passes out front, um, you know, that, that make for really dangerous chances. Um, I got and that's, so... that's tough in this series. 
I, I think in the next series, sure. whoever they end up playing, it's going to be a lot easier for him to do things like that. But it's just where he's sitting on the half wall most of the time. Um, you're just you're making it. You're sort of doubling down on his weaknesses right now. I got so upset on a, at a power play during the third game because they got the puck down low with Miko below the goal line. You're like, hey, all right. Maybe this is about to to develop something. And, well, everybody just expands as quickly as they can to the boards, and they work it back around to the point. God damn yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's terrible. And again, like, Arizona is so relentless at clogging up the middle. Um, I You know, I can see if you're the Avs coaching staff that you're like, I don't know if I want to leave a guy in the middle because it's just he's always triple covered. Um, and it's just, that's not there now. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, for, for lack of a better explanation, this just isn't a good series for Miko with the problems that he's having handling the puck right now. Um, but I, I don't think in general, like if you're going to be playing, you know, Vancouver or whoever else in the next series, that that's, that's going to be quite as, as noticeable. Yeah. I mean, he, he had a chance to tie the game in game three, about five minutes left, he's just right on the crease, and he couldn't redirect it netward. And that that was just where I it it became very clear, like if it wasn't already, that this is like Miko's got a struggle going on right now, whatever yeah. it is. Well, he's yeah, generally a high shooting percentage. Like the interesting thing is, he's is shooting twenty nine percent. That's I mean. That's high for anybody, but he's someone that's going to ride the higher percentages in his career because that's just the kind of player he is, the kind of shots he takes. Right, where we've always yelled at him to shoot the puck more because he has a good shot, but his percentage is going to be even higher right now because he's going to take even fewer shots to get saved because it takes him longer to settle the puck down. That's how but I he it. had some of the most shots in yesterday's game shot attempts actually in in the series matt nieto tied nathan mckinnon for shots which is again the effect of mckinnon getting what mccarr gets which is all the attention he does get a lot of it so the first line took a hit when uh, nemesnikov went out Earl, I think you had something you wanted to say about this. Yeah, my narrative here is that when Nemestikov went out, they put Landeskog up on the first line and trying to recreate the old three-headed monster magic that really hasn't worked all year. Um, and they and immediately I think all ran a, into each other. Yeah, and it's had a seriously deleterious effect on Nazem Kadri, who was, you know, was probably the Avs' best forward. Actually, all right, he was the best forward for the Avs in Game One. And since Landy has moved up to the top line, Naz has kind of disappeared. And it's really tough because, <clears throat> both defensively and in the offensive zone, he's working with, you know, I, this is going to sound bad but b-level talent um you know nichushkin can't do what landeskog does he can do some things like landy um but it's just the the skill level isn't even close and then you're putting don Skoy or, or burkowski or whoever else with him and it's just 
you know, Nas isn't meant to carry a line like that. He's a shooter. He doesn't really distribute the puck much in the offensive zone. So he's got to have some creativity to play off of, and that's just not there um, with Landy out. Um, you know, well, I so think one of the problems is Burakovsky. Like, you have to have a home for him. He cannot consistently ride some of the lowest time on ice for all forwards. Like, there's a lot of people that think of him as like a sure top six player. He's certainly not getting played like a top six player. So this works into what you're saying. If Nemestikov's out and you have less options for those lines, it's even worse that Burakovsky is not an option at this point. He should be. And this is sort of the Burakovsky conundrum that happens all the time is when he's on, he looks like top six guy. Like you're going to play him, he, first line material, whatever. When he's not on, he's like a fourth liner. So where do you reconcile that? Like he, if they're going to be missing guys, he is, has to be the first guy that steps up. Because like you said, Kadri needs talent to play with. And if he's not up to the task to play up, then who is? Then who are you moving up? Donskoy's not a top six player. So we could go on down the list. Definitely isn't this time. (laughs) Something's wrong with Donnie, but he's, I mean, he's generally a stretch. I mean, he can play up in the lineup a little bit, but he's been bad during these playoffs. He's not been great, and but and I'm not really even sure that moving Burakovsky up to the second line is the answer either, because if you're looking for somebody who's going to, you know, enable Nazem Kadri and even to, and a lesser extent, Nichushkin to get shots and, and, you know, muck up rebounds, I mean, Burakovsky's not that distributor. He's a sniper. Yeah. They don't no, really I mean, have he... anybody. Like, they don't, then they don't have, they have a second Gabe Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's the thing is, is like when you when you put the three headed monster together, you, you've got that. You've got the vet line, which are going to overplay and they're never going to score anything. And then you have a bunch of guys that you, you know, Bednar even said after yesterday's game, he's like, you know, I keep putting these guys together, trying things. And then Chambers asked about Burakovsky and he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, we're asking a lot of Burakovsky and, you know, some of his defensive details aren't there. And that's. You know, kind of why he's not always up with the the skill guys and yada, yada, yada. Um, But, I mean, this is a little self-inflicted because you put Mac and Miko together with someone. I, You know, I would try Nachushkin there next, and I know it's like he's, you know, it's going to be tough for him to keep up with those guys. But he can do some of the things that Gabe does when he's with those guys, probably enough such that Mac can make it work. Because Mac's made it work with you know, two empty suits a lot of times this year. Um, right. You, you don't have it. You don't have a skill deficit. Right. And so go together. But, but when you put Gabe back with Kadri, those guys were great together. Um, like Kadri's effectiveness with Gabe and without like his, the Wowie numbers are, you know, startling. I mean, it's like that they're 60% uh, ex- expected goals together and, and Nas is like 45% without Gabe and, and that's you know that that's a big clue that you know you're losing a lot when you move up Landeskog to the first line so you keep those guys together and again it's 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 really not that important who that third guy is 
you know, if Nachushkin goes up to the first line, you know, you've got some options. I don't know. You might try Jost there. You might try Burakovsky. I mean, shout out to playoffs Jost, by the way. Yeah. Um. You know. So what Phoenix would you say? Rising from the ashes. <laughs> what What would you say to people who take a little bit of a different angle? Probably one that's more like Bedner's strategy seems to be, which is your bread and butter is Nathan McKinnon. Do all you can to enable that player. Because you're you're making you're you're not you're taking away some of Landy's uh, production by putting him with two other guys that are that skilled. I mean, it's that that's just too much awesomeness on the ice at once. Uh, I mean, I understand you know. why he puts them together. It has worked in the past. It is your best offensive players. Yeah, and like in the third period of yesterday's game, that's a great time to put those guys together. But it's like for just your regular old first and second periods, I just don't think, you know, making a top-heavy lineup like that is the way to go. I think you need to spread things out whenever you can. One thing I've said in this series many, many times is that I don't really think there should be set lines because we need to have as much chaos as possible. I think that was his tactic in game two, I believe it was. That was the one, especially when Nemestikov went out, that was just where there wasn't really a second line. It was just whoever he wanted to play at that time. That was, we're short of forward. At night. So, let's see. What should we do next? And McKinnon says, what line am I on now, coach? And coach says, yes. McKinnon was on every line. Yeah. And, you know, that's fine, but I, I just, I, I'm not sure that worked out so great at the end of the game yesterday, just because it did look like everyone was pretty much gassed. I mean, I, I don't know. When you're shooting that much, it, it's... It, takes a lot out of you. Everyone was definitely gassed <laughs> the end of game three. Like that, that was how Kale McCarr had two empty netters go in behind him that he clearly yeah. wanted back, but it's like he, he just couldn't get there. He needed more smelling salt. He played 26 minutes. Yeah. If you're hearing rumbles, I've got a little thunderstorm in the area. So there you go. <laughs> it's my turn, I guess. Uh, you know, just, just to put a, a point on the narrative, though, I, I, I think they they need to look at spreading things back out again and you know remembering how dangerous that was in game 1. Well, they were a much better team in the regular season when they spread out than when they didn't. They sure were. Well, right, and is... again, you can always go back to it when you need it like you know during crunch time. So and Bednar's never, you know, even even when they had those guys spread out you know, when they needed a little jump at the end of a period or after a penalty kill or something like that, there, there are times when it's just, you know, right to put those guys back together. I, just, I don't think it needs to be a, a full game thing all the time. It's obviously a different kind of conversation, but what I play three-headed monster right now is kind of similar to what I put Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg together right now. Right. So that that may be one one way to help us think about it in a way that everybody can can relate to. So I think we've all had to make that decision before, but I think I think we all kind of remember that. Um, yeah. So yeah, shout out to Tyson Jost, who's going to um, not probably not earn one of our stars of the week as we get it move into kind of stars and scratches here. But but Jost has been very very good 
is, especially in game two, he, he maybe got a little bit overshadowed by some other players who were doing equally well with equal results in game three. Um, but he, he was held out of game one and slotted in for Jonas Donskoy's in game two and immediately scored a goal and looked like playoffs Jost. Yeah. Yeah. It's he is a useful player, but like we've been saying for several years, he needs a role. He can't just be this utility guy off the bench. I mean, it works in spurts, but he's not just somebody you're just going to throw in as a 13th forward. So that that's still the the ongoing issue with him there, but certainly I agree. It, big credit to him for being ready and making a difference. And he's one of the few guys that I've seen that that actually created a little space in front of the net um, yesterday. And it didn't it didn't produce anything, obviously. But it, and and we know he's not the fastest guy. And this isn't a, a series where speed is going to make a whole difference because you know if speed was going to make a difference, I think the Avs would have this series in hand already. So. Their speed has been neutralized, so you're you're looking at guys that can grind a little bit. Um, you know, one thing, Joe, he's not a fast skater, but he's a fast in the eye-hand coordination. Like, a puck gets near him, and he can shoot it immediately. And that, that's been one thing that, that he's always been able to do. It may not be hyper-accurate or anything like that. Um, but I, I've really been impressed with his play around the net. Um, you know, I, I think that's... That's something that going forward in the series, I think, is going to pay off if they end up keeping him in the lineup. Not a fast skater, but a quick player. Yeah. I think he should stay in because they need to reconcile whatever's going on with Donskoy. I would also play yeah. him over Donskoy, and I am definitely the biggest Donskoy fan on the show. Yeah, I like Donskoy a lot, but it's just he's been terrible, and whatever's wrong with him, you know. I. It's something he's day to day, and he's he's good sometimes, good enough to go. I mean, I I don't know if Nemesnikov is healthy if he would have played yesterday. So, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe they if they wrap the series up early enough, and he gets a few days off to rest or whatever he needs to do, you know, maybe he can come back and, and you know be be the Donskoy that we know. I mean, do we have any uh, idea but... what even could be going on with him? Because well, on yes, Thursday, to play. well, on Thursday. Bender <laughs> said everyone was available. And then on Friday, yeah. Jonas Donskoy was unfit. So what the fuck? Well, Joe said something about how he was told on that practice day to be ready. So it was... I think like what Earl's alluding to, it's some sort of day-to-day, probably some sort of strain where he could play through it if he needs to, but it's clearly limiting him. Yeah. Because, I mean, he hasn't looked, and this goes back to even before, this goes back to the round robin. Um, he just, he's not even close to 100%. Like, he's barely 60%, it looks like. Well, that pretty much covers my list of narrow tips. So, should we do stars and scratches? Let's do it. We haven't done this segment in quite a while. Um, it didn't feel like we had space for it in any of our previous shows or there haven't been any games to talk about so let's do it now who should we award the coveted burgundy radio first star of the week (sighs) 
it's hard because I don't think anyone's been a super standout. I, I also think I don't it's not think that, it's not. It, there's no one that's had three good games. Yeah. And so that's that's really tough. There's a lot who have had two good games. That's right. I think Jost does deserve a star, like we just mentioned, to to come in after pretty much being sat through the round robin in game one, make a difference, and prove that he deserves to be in the lineup. I think that's star worthy. I wouldn't give him the first star, but I agree. If we're looking at who's had the best two games, because it feels like everybody's had two very good games and maybe one stinker, like it's still like despite disappearing for game three and being a little bit of a turnover machine, it's hard to argue against Nazem Kadri. Yeah, he definitely was the star. He has been the star of like game one and before half of that. game two. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much any time he was playing with Landy, and I'm not saying he's dependent on Landy for what he did. I mean, that was, you know, that was all highly skilled stuff, and and he was skating and defending well, and and, um, you know, I just think he's a man without a country right now, without having a another skilled player to play with. So yeah, I, I think yeah, he's been star worthy as anyone else. Um, you know, it's always default to go with Mac just because he's you know four points. Um, that goal was star worthy. The goal was yeah. star worthy. I think that his the rest of his game too was messy enough to make me not like it. <laughs> like, sure, you got. I think he just you, you got a goal, but you also put the team against it a goal too. So kind of kind of balances out in a not a good way. And I think he was just super impatient um, yesterday in the third period. Uh, and I, you know, of course, anyone would be just because you're sitting there. It's like you're in the offensive zone for 15 minutes straight and shooting at will and nothing's going in. And I, I think for a guy like Mac, that's, you know, I, I know we don't picture him as the most erudite guy on the team. I, I think he likes solving problems like that. And when he can't find a solution, it, it really irks him. I will say someone else that probably deserves a star is Grubauer. No argument. Wow. And I know I've been a little bit tough on him, but he stepped up. He did his job and then some for the first two games, got two wins. So why not? I wasn't going to scratch him, but I'd... I, w- I wasn't too hot. Like, you know, a 14 save shadow. I don't know. <laughs> some of those kind of 14 joke, right? saves were, were pretty fucking good. <laughs> Right. I think he's and played well. I think he played a lot better in the second game just because the 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 way that the Coyotes were were playing was a lot more difficult to to be a goaltender against. So, yeah. Who are we less happy with? And I'm not going to scratch Nico so despite many. everything I've had to say because he does have two no. goals. Like, at the end of the day, those two we goals definitely sc- count. A group scratch on everyone that hasn't scored yet? <laughs> <laughs> if we're group scratching anybody, it's the officials. Thank you very yeah. much. I guess you could say the whole defense could be better. They could be more consistent. Well, that includes Sam Gerrard, so that's a um, big, big statement from you. Yes, but it includes everyone else, too. 
If, if I was going to single anybody out defensively from the first two games, it would have been Ian Cole. I thought he was a lot better in game three. But the first two games, he's been tons and tons of turnovers everywhere, all over the place. Make it stop, please, God. Um, I'm, My first scratch, and I hate to do this, but um, Nachushkin. I think he's been pretty consistently bad. I um, think that's fair. It's yeah, like if he's the not suppression gonna... that's normally there, you know his. I mean, Bednar even said that he loves the way that he's able to suppress opponent offense. That's not really been there, and he's generating nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. I mean, <clears throat> he has the worst uh, individual expected goals by a mile. Um, it's not even close. Um, so, I mean, if you're not doing your job defensively as well as is sort of what got you in the lineup, and, and you're not able to add anything offensively, you know that that's not a great look. If you're Val Nichushkin and you're not playing good defense, then you're not doing anything. Pretty much, right. yeah, I agree with that. It's the expectation bar for him is a lot higher defensively and he certainly hasn't met it especially with all the hype going in like oh yeah he's gonna be our second line winger we love what he does defensively and you know and it just he sort of wilted under the pressure or something I, you know he could be hurt who knows but whatever it is you know they they seem to have high hopes for him and it really hasn't panned out and we talked on this show about being really into the idea of that line, and you're right, it really has been the Landy and Kadri show, and the Chushkin has offered very little. Yeah. So, maybe try another thing. Maybe. Maybe, please. Yeah, and they, they, they at, at the end of the game yesterday, they kind of had them sort of in the, the other middle six line a, a little bit. Um, and I tough to glean whether that helped or anything. I... I I think what we see for lines uh, Monday night uh, might tell us a little bit more about what the staff's thinking and how that goes. I'm hoping they're thinking to abolish the other line and actually use it. But that may be asking too much. <laughs> this is the part where I move us forward to talk about the rest of the league. So if we have any parting shots on this week's games, now's your chance to get them in. Just tell me how it ends. <laughs> yeah, watching this kind of sucks, eh? Definitely, uh, definitely not surprised by that. So, it's just going to make all the other series we play look so much better. Hopefully there's a lot of more series to play. The Vegas Golden Knights are up 3-0 over Chicago. They will play their game four later tonight, so you may already know by the time this goes live that Chicago have left the bubble to everyone's delight. Yeah, I pretty much nailed this one. They might be able to win and force a game five, but they're just... They're overmatched. They... Chicago does have some young legs and it's providing them energy and they're not easy to play against because they do push the pace. They do force offense, but it just defensively, it's not happening. And then when you have Crawford not looking hundred percent sharp, they just really have no chance. So maybe Chicago can win, but it's, it's going to be over fast. 
I mean, if you're Edmonton and looking at this and you were the second place team in the Pacific right behind Vegas, I mean, they didn't need you're just looking at the gap between where you are and where (laughs) Vegas is. And that just looks like Snake River Canyon level. Well, they didn't even need to see this series to understand that that was very bad to lose to this team. You sure hope not. Right. But just but just seeing how easily Vegas have handled them, I, it surprised me just because, you know, like you said, the, the Hawks do have some really good forwards that are fun to watch and, and they do push the play. And that just hasn't worked at all. And it, it that really surprised me. Vegas are extremely, extremely strong. We really um, can't overstate that. The Vegas look really, really good. And I, they they have, now they have patches too, and that's just horrifying. And I would love to see a seven-game series against that team because that would be fantastic. I may not win it, but that yeah. might be the best series that the West has to offer. Um, Dallas and Calgary are tied up at two. Dallas did win that game in overtime before we got here. So shout out to Calgary for losing that game fast enough that we can know about it on the show. How about that? That's that's just an ugly series to series I have not watch. watched any of this series, I'm, so already sick of dallas <laughs> like they're obviously they they figured out they have to score right so they were trying to play <laughs> they scored five times play. today right and i did not see today's game but i have seen this series it was like through the round robin they were trying to play the same style of like we never score and we're gonna win every game two to nothing or something like that in this series they've figured out that they do need to actually try to score I just, I don't think they're going to have enough to get far. They could win this. This series probably will go seven games. This one's hard to to handicap. It does seem like Calgary has a a little bit more going. It it does feel like they're going to get redemption a little bit from being such a disappointment last year and through the season because Calgary does play their style well. They play that physical style. They've just completely moved past Goudreau, even though he did score today. But he he's just like, you don't even notice him. He's like a total non-factor whatsoever on this team. And <laughs> they've just decided to play a, a whole different game that does not include him. So it's it but it's not fun hockey to watch so it's not the slow slog that dallas has been trying to be but it's still not great entertainment either i've kind of enjoyed watching the series not because it's good hockey but because it's interesting what's going to happen next i really see this as a matchup between a team who does one thing very poorly um which is dallas scoring goals and a team that is very poor at stopping that one thing just Calgary defensively and in net. So, as I have said, this will be the third show in a row, I think I've said, I have no faith in Calgary whatsoever. However, I also don't know if Dallas will score five more goals this whole series. So, it's a really tough one to call, because you have to score goals to to win a hockey game. You can't win 0-0. Many so basically... If Dallas wins and the Avs get past Arizona, that's who they're going to play. I'd rather avoid that, even though I think the Avs could take it, but it would be more bad 
terrible hockey. It'd be more obnoxious like hockey said, to watch. That's for sure. today. Yeah, every every series is going to be bad just because every team in the West is bad except for Vegas. Trash cans, you called them all. So they're all trash well, cans. You'd have more offense against, say, Vancouver. That would be a yeah. lot more fun if to watch. If that happens. It would, but, uh, you know, I mean, Vancouver might actually be good. I don't know about uh, all that. About Vancouver that are up 2 nothing <laughs> over St. Louis. They do. Pl- they play later tonight, so it won't be 2 nothing by the time you hear the show. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, you're, you're seeing St. Louis get no goaltending. Yeah. Which is great. It's karma for last year's <laughs> cup run. For sure. Fraud. Van- Vancouver's pretty much what we expected. They have some young skill, but it's they're, they play an immature game. So it's it's only going to carry them so far. Yeah, like I, I said in the, the last show, it's basically like two teams playing on, on the same bench just because you have a bunch of talented young players and then a bunch of just garbage. <clears throat> and of course, we still have no idea who the Avalanche second round opponent would be if they make it out of this round against Arizona. But if Vegas win tonight, then we will know for sure that it cannot be Vancouver. No, it cannot be Calgary. That right. One? That one. Let's go east, where we have Tampa with a 2-1 to series lead over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Boy, that one has been just about as unwatchable as our series. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, I tried watching that one, and it's rough. That game went into <laughs> overtime, and I said I would rather go out and uh, talk to my grandparents and then mow the yard instead of watching overtime playoff hockey. I came back and they were still going. I, yeah, I watched the second, third, and fourth overtimes. Basically a complete game. And I just I felt dumber for having watched it. And I didn't even get to see the resolution because it was too late. Um, you know, <clears throat> it's that, that's that's a tough confluence of styles. I was really high on Tampa coming into the playoffs. I, I think they're they're not frauds, but they're they're not what they seem to be a lot of times. I think they'll be better once they slay the dragon. They need to get over this hump. And I think Columbus has played for what they have on hand and their style and the contributions they're getting. I mean, they're playing young players. I mean, we're talking about Foodie, who was in the OHL this year. And they're getting contributions from him. And Dubois has taken a step forward. I mean, they're really relying on some of the... And Texier is another really young forward they have. Watching um, Dubois mature throughout these playoffs, it's it's really cool. Because I've always liked him. And, and, I mean, he's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And he doesn't get enough attention or credit. He's not really thought of in that echelon of the top young forwards like Ajo and Pedersen and all that. But... He belongs in that conversation. He might not score as many points per se, but he's, um, yeah, he's so effective and it is fun to watch him. I like Columbus in general. Plus you have the the puck moving D's with Jones and Wierenski. So it's not like it's all just sort of 90s hockey or something trying to clog up. But um, they, they definitely go for the, 
the block shots and the suppress everything. And I think Tampa will get through it. And I think they'll be better once they do because they kind of need to avenge this from last year. So this series could go the distance, but I see Tampa winning it. And yeah, I, th- I think you're right on that. And my main takeaway on the series is that John Tortorella needs to go to hockey jail. <laughs> this this style is unbearable. Um, Philadelphia and Montreal are tied at one game apiece. They'll they'll be playing pretty much right after we're done here. We'll have a little bit of a break, but pretty much right after we're done. Montreal is in that same category as Columbus that's doing more with what they have. And they also have the same story of some young players that are really stepping up, like Kotkanemi and Suzuki. So maybe that's a little bit of a takeaway that these young players really can make a difference at, at the most important time of the year. Um, but they're just, they're not going to beat Philly. I, I know Earl's going to disagree. But they <laughs> some sort of magic, found some sort of magic formula, but Philly's really good. Really Philly can't team. score though. Um, that's their problem, and that's a bad problem to have when you're playing Carey Price because you know he's re- he's still really good, and if he gets more and more confident, it you know it's a Kemper situation where you can shoot as much as you want. It's just not going in. Um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people slept on Montreal just because you you look at certain facets of of what went wrong with their season, blowing a lot of leads and things like that, you know, but they did get have leads in the first place and, and they did have some scoring talent. Um, you know, Kaka's looked so good during these playoffs and, and Suzuki too. I mean, they've, they've had um, some guys sort of step forward that you didn't expect They're I mean, they're a fun team to watch, you know, they, they play, you know, a very, trap counterattack kind of game but it's not you know it's not like watching arizona or even columbus so you know it's it's watchable and they've got fun players i you know i think they can they can extend this series a lot longer than people would give them credit for i i still don't think they can win but anything can happen if you get a hot goalie and and just the the way that Philly that their best players are just not able to put the puck in the net is it should be very concerning. I still think there's a pretty good talent deficit here, and Philly oh, yeah, was yeah. playing great, so it's not like they're one of the asleep giants. I think I think they've got it going. Plus, uh, Lindbaum might play soon, so that's going to be a huge lift for them. The Washington Capitals are up against fraud detection against the New York Islanders. <laughs> What's it's going funny. on I there? Hate, I, I usually hate the Islanders, but it, come on, it's Varley. Against yeah, his old yeah. team, we know how much Varley loves playing Washington. <laughs> and this probably will come true when he plays Colorado. But... <laughs> uh. There's a lot that's going to happen first. Well, I'm yeah. not necessarily talking about right now. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I don't I don't think the Islanders are going to the Cup or anything because I don't think they have the talent either. But Barley can absolutely take a series. And then they get opportunistic scoring. That's going to be enough. Plus, Washington just looks old and slow. They just 
Yeah. I don't know That's... if it's just now because it, because it's been the break and rust, blah, 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 or if they're, they've kind of peaked and are going down the other side of the mountain. Yeah. I think it may I, start I to be I that one a little bit. Old and bad. <laughs> and also, like, you know, Anders Lee taking out Backstrom right away, that, you know, that's rough. Um, you know, that, that really hurt Washington's chances of, of putting together something that can break down the Islanders' defense scheme. Um, but, yeah, they, they do look like a cup team that's trying to hold on even when they're not really a, a cup contender. And, yeah, yikes. You think we're looking at a San Jose East situation soon? Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're going to make it past the Islanders. You know, I don't, unless Backstrom somehow comes back for... But you mean like a America. team that craters? I, I, that could be Pittsburgh. Maybe. Oh, yeah. We'll see next year, though. But speaking of losing a really integral part of your offense, Boston is oh. up 2-1 over Carolina, and Andrei Svechnikov's finally starting to get some of the attention he deserves, and then that happens, and you you really never want to see yeah. that. Partially because you that don't want to terrible. look at it, but also because it, it's awful. Yeah, it just yeah. feels unfair. It's not good for the game to not have those young stars playing. I know I had picked Carolina on the show, but in, in our bracket pool, I picked Boston just because this probably is the series of the first round, but Boston has enough going for it that they can get through this. I mean, they've looked better than Washington now, at least. It's just yeah, Caroline is good, up. but yeah, that they, they have woken up a bit, and, and it, it's without it Boston go. too. Most of us were extremely yeah. dubious that Boston will be able to just flip the switch and do it, but apparently they have. Even with Tuka Rask leaving the bubble, which is a whole other story of its own. Um. But with with Carolina losing Svechnikov, they're they're in trouble. Yeah, and they're still down Pesci too on the on defense. Um, you know, it, they've had just just horrible luck all season with injuries, and and it's just a, a continuation of it. You know, I'm not going to say it's like a sign it's not your year, but you know, when they're fully healthy, they're a very dangerous and fun team to watch. And they just haven't gotten to that point at really any time this year. Um, and it, it just doesn't look like, it doesn't look like even, even before Svech got hurt, that they were competitive enough with Boston. So which series has surprised you so far out of this bunch? None of them. Probably, it's it's either how how much Philly is struggling with Montreal, um, or I, I really did think that that the Canes were going to be a lot more competitive against Boston. So it, it's between those, like like Philly and Carolina, just look so good uh, coming out of the round robin, and it just it it didn't translate like maybe you thought it would. Um, going into the actual first round. I'm a little bit surprised by um, by by Vancouver having won both games that we've seen so far. 
didn't really expect that at all. But Vancouver has been able to kind of score at will on Jordan Bennington, which is, you know, cool. I'm not going to complain about being wrong about that. And, but the main thing that surprised me, I think, is maybe it's because I haven't watched Washington much, if at all. Um, but I, I figured they'd have more than zero wins at this point. If you didn't hear me say it, that was the series I picked. That even though I picked the Islanders in my bracket, for them to be up 3-0 against a team as good as Washington is pretty surprising. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that um, you, that must have been why you had dropped out. <clears throat> yeah, that that is fairly surprising. I... I think when I was watching Washington in the round robin, I was, you know, they were another older team that didn't look great. And I was like, you know, they're not going to turn it on. And they just didn't. So let's return to the team that we're all here to talk about. Um, For Colorado, game four is coming up on Monday, which is probably today for you, the listener. That's at 3.30 Mountain, and the time for Wednesday's game is, as of now, not set. We were talking about this before the show, and we think it'll probably be about the same time as Monday's. Uh, If we need more games, they'll happen on Friday and on Sunday sometime, don't know when. What predictions do we have for this week? I think they wrap it up Wednesday. No, it'll probably go to Friday, just to traumatize us all (laughs) just to make us watch more of this goddamn series no i think they win it at home in the fifth game (laughs) (laughs) eventually that joke won't be funny anymore but so because i'm still not expecting it yet it's still funny every time (laughs) um Uh. I predicted that this game, that this series would go six. Um, I think both on the show and in the bracket. Um, so if it does go to Friday, I will not be surprised. After having watched what's happened so far, I think that Wednesday is probably it. Yeah, I, there's only one thing that that concerns me about what Arizona is doing offensively, and. You know, this this series was always going to be about the Avs offense versus Arizona's defense. And Arizona's offense is sort of gradually getting more shot quality per um per attempt. And I I don't want to see their offense become a factor in this. Um just because having something else to to think about um is is not what the avs need i mean they just need to you know solve this issue win two games move on sort of take what they've gone through what and, i don't like is they've, they've never the avs have never had really control of a game they had to win two games in the third period right they had to come back trying to come dig out of the hole in game three like It'd be nice, of course, it'd be nice they're all blowouts and no stress, whatever, but they need to have a game where they have that game. I, if they can go out and get that in game four, then they're like fine. Like a 9-4 Nashville victory type of game? No, just one where they have like a two-goal lead at some point, you know, before <laughs> five minutes left in the game. Yeah. They could, if they can play, they get a lead and build on a lead, something like that. It doesn't have to be a blowout, just a game where you're like, Hey, the, the Avs are winning this game. 
then then I think but I'm until they can get to that point I'm probably a little bit more concerned than you guys I mean they're they have more talent they're a better team I think they've played better over the course of this but it's been too close the margin is too small I think to feel that confident yeah, I think getting that second goal, like like getting you know a goal early and then a second goal to back it up, and then being able to play the game they want to from there, I, I think you're right. I think that's uh, something important that they need to be able to show um, before the end of the series. And it, it is important to score in the third period to win games, absolutely. But it, it's good they've scoring shown a, scoring that. in the first period is much better. <laughs> But they need to, like, win a game. They need to control a game is what they need to do. They can't just hope for late-game goals. They have to control this at some point. It's really, really important against a team like Arizona that you score first, because once they get a lead, we've seen how much they shut down, and we know how much that can affect the Avs' offensive game. Um, But, you know, not to be too much of an internet person, but I... The game one was the game they controlled from start to finish. They didn't control it on the scoreboard, but they controlled that game from start to finish. So, yeah. But you and I will disagree on that, um, and that's fine. But I definitely think that they they got that game out of the way immediately. It's just a matter of when is the puck going to go both past Darcy Camper and past the post and past the crossbar. Well, the thing is, when you control a game and it's still 0-0, zero, zero, you're always thinking, like, that, you know, just something dumb could happen and we could be losing, and that would be tragic right now. Um, and that's pretty much what happened in, the, in Game 3. So, you know, I, I do think having a game where you score early and just show that you can, you know, get to Kemper early, um, you know, it, it's something they haven't done, and I think they need to do it. And this is where I'd like to ask this question because it's a, a thought that I've had. How important, or if at all, do y'all think the too little, too late in, uh, six on five goal was in game three? Do you think it matters at all? Not uh, after they just given up an empty net. Like it, it was irrelevant. I I don't. I mean, I I think for the amount of work that they put in in that third period it it's a, it's a it's a terrible payoff but it it was a payoff you know they did get one past him it just it wasn't relevant um you know i i don't think it's totally i, I don't think it's a a black mark against him or anything like that i i think it's it's a real goal and everything like that um if nothing else it just showed that they, you know, they they could do a six on five goal, which is something they really weren't that great at this year. And I guess it's better than nothing. It's better than if they didn't get one at all. I just, I don't know. Are they going to take confidence from it? Are they going to be able to build off of that? I don't know. I, I hate empty net goals, and then you just go and pull the goalie again. And I know you're trying to give your team the best chance to, to tie it up. It's just. And then when they're just such easy empty net goals, I just think, to me, I think that works the opposite. I think that's deflating, where it's just like, you know. I don't think the, they care it, about empty net goals against I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't matter in wins and losses, but I, it just, it's so, it's so lame. It's, I don't know. It's, it just leaves a bad taste. That's how I feel. 
So I think that 3-2 goal matters. Um, not like series changing matters, but I think it's important because to go that entire third period, complete go mode, push, 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 getting up to 52 shots on goal, and you still can't get anything through, then you go into game four thinking, good God, what is it going to take? And even if it's it's a shit payoff, I don't disagree there, but to have something, you still have that in the back of your head of, okay, we, we did get one at the end of all that. Like, you're not still going into game four going, man, it's been a long time since we've scored a goal. Yeah. So I, th- no, I agree. I, I, I think there's a little you can take from it that's positive, but just a little. I think it makes a psychological difference that makes it easier for Colorado to get off to the start in game four that you're hoping for, where they come out and they're, they can jump on it early and they can get one through camper and then Arizona has to try to score one and then you can get another one through camper and then you can control the whole game. I think that's, yeah. I think that's easier to have with, with without the mindset of, holy shit, this dude is just unbeatable. It would have been one thing if they were down two and they got one and it was like, hey, we got closer. I mean, it was after the empty net. You know, at that point, like, how hard is Arizona really trying? I don't know. Hopefully pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could have lost that because there was a minute left. Yeah. I, mean? I don't know. It's just after once you give up an empty net goal, you're pretty much saying we're desperate. Like, this is a we're desperate and we didn't get it done. I don't know. I think it's all exhibition at that point. These, That's fair. Are these Alexander Kerfoot fake points? <laughs> okay, so we seem to be in the five or six game range for this one to come to a close. I very much hope that's true because watching this is not my favorite thing I've ever done. If I was not a fan of, of either team involved, I would watch zero minutes of the series. Well, NBC has decided that too. And very <laughs> rightly so. I cannot fault them even a little bit. <laughs> even a little bit. Um, okay, so I think that's going to wrap us for today. Um, what's, what's, our, what's our key to the week is score. Please. Yeah. Without, without waiting for an hour and a half to do it. Um, so we will be back with you depending on what happens in the next week. I don't think that it would make any sense for us to do a show before an eventual Game 7. So if we have a Game 7, I don't think that we will record before it. So That makes sense. That's fair, yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll be coming out in the middle of next weekend, looking ahead to, to round two. Um, otherwise, if there is a game seven, then it'll probably be either very late Sunday or Monday. So. And all the all the series will be wrapped up by Sunday, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. The Avs started so on I mean... on Wednesday rather than Tuesday, so they wrap up on Sunday rather than Saturday. Because once again, the NHL scheduler hates me personally. Right. And we'll, we, we might need to wait till Sunday to have an opponent in mind anyway. Yeah. So probably be a, a reasonably normal showtime next week. You can look for us then. Um, but just make absolutely sure uh, Burgundy Radio on, on Twitter will let you know. Um, we will see you next week. It is Joe!